Here's the big question. What if you had to start over from scratch and build a business with limited time and resources? Maybe the economy just pulled the rug out from under you, or you're in a business that's underperforming or a career that's going nowhere. How would you flip the switch to go from where you're at to where you want to go? A profitable business that supports your family and allows you to live the life you were meant to live. My name is Jason Liu, and each week I'm going to bring you guests that are further down the road while documenting my own journey. Welcome to the business of feeling good. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of The Business of Feeling Good. My name is Jason Liu, and I am joined today by Mark Cohen. And I am pumped to kind of dive into a lot of conversations. Um, Mark is an accomplished Emmy Award winning um, producer, director. He has his own company um, called Mark Howard Cohen Productions, where they put on live events. Um, They can take everything from literally nose to tail in terms of putting on events, um, planning, and everything else. Um, but I, I know Mark best probably as a no nonsense, straight to the point, um, no holds bar, uh, individual. And that's what I love about him. Um, so I got the chance to spend about six weeks, um, when COVID first started on a coaching call with a dear friend of both of ours, um, Jim McPartland, who put together a group where we could kind of just dive into what's happening in the world and how things are changing. So I got exposed front and center to Mark. Um, I am always inspired by the fact that he is able to speak the truth so directly and so bluntly. And I think that's what makes him such a great individual. So Mark, thanks for taking the time to to hang out. My pleasure to be here, Jason. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start in the middle here, um, which is kind of how we first met, which is, which is Mac. Um, I only know small details and a, Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys end up traveling together for a show or how did the two of you or how did the worlds kind of intertwine here? That's the way it went. So I was lucky enough to um, go on some dental missions with uh, a client of mine um, and they also had asked Mac to come along, you know, in addition to um, doing dental work in third world countries, there was going to be some life coaching going on. So the same company that brought me aboard brought Mac aboard. And that's how we met. The first one was in Thailand. Uh, We spent about six or seven days, you know, while the dentists were doing their thing, I was documenting the trips for um, fundraising purposes. When it was over, Mac was doing the life coaching. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved in that as well as doing what I was doing. So we did that. Um, And then we also went to Ghana and to Nicaragua. So we've kind of been around the world three times. So tell me about the foundation here, because I know it's, how did you get involved? Is it called Smile? Is that correct? The foundation itself is called the Smiles for Everyone Foundation. And it is a spinoff of a company called Smile Brands, which is headquartered here in Irvine, California. So the basic premise of the foundation is to provide smiles for everyone. The idea started out being that they would go to third world or very depressed economically countries and provide dental care. You know, go to places where they had never seen dentists before, where there was a real need for it, and to try and take some of the local doctors, as local as you could get, because we really were kind of deep in the bush, um, and to train the local dentists on some kind of procedures and work so that after the team left, the locals could carry on with it. 
Um, and it has expanded from that to they do it um, here in the United States as well. It's no longer just international. Now they have a national deal, which they also call um, the days of giving where dentists and employees who are part of smile brands, you know, would open the office on a Saturday or Sunday. They donate their time and have people come in who couldn't otherwise afford to have dental work done. So I was lucky enough to get involved in this. Um, basically from the point of documenting these trips and these events to put together videos, to raise funds, to continue the program. That's incredible. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting and, and maybe this will be a no nonsense Mark answer, but um, when I work with entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs, giving and contributing is low on the totem pole. Sometimes um, it is a, it is very much of a me first and, it's not to say all entrepreneurs are that way, but it is to say that contribution, I think, is something that is such a big part of my life as well. There's foundations that my wife and I give to. How did contribution come up for you or how did you get involved with this organization? Was it something that was just came about and they asked you to be a part of or some people have like a close tie to the foundations they support? Really, that's kind of how it came about, right? So Smile Brands, which is the parent company of the foundation, was a client that I had done work with before. And when they started this program, the foundation, at one point, um, Steve Bilt, who was in charge, came and said, hey, how would you guys like to come and help us, you know, document these trips so that we can come back and show the rest of the world what it is we're doing and help raise funds. And I said, I'm, I'm all over it. You know, I, I admired the company itself and the work that they were doing. And then when I heard that they actually had a foundation going on and I had the opportunity to be part of it, I jumped on it. I mean, this is an amazing group of people doing amazing things. You know, you, we went to these places, like I say, you know, Thailand and Nicaragua and Paraguay and Ghana, and you just see these people, you know, the dental teams working with the locals, they are changing lives in real time. It is unbelievable to watch. And if you see something like this, you can't help but to want to be part of it. You know, you see them, you know, you see a mother with three or four kids, one of whom is just in deathly pain and in their mouth, you know, and that's the only thing that they can think of. Well, these dentists and these technicians, and the whole team, you know, they would do what they do in real time. And the kid smiling. So the kid's life changed. His mother's life changed because she can now devote more time to the rest of her children. I mean, you see this ripple effect of what these people do. And, you know, I think you really have to be some kind of bizarre individual not to want to be part of that. I mean, it is the ultimate feel good story. You know, it just, it is amazing. You know, and on the selfish side, we got to go to some pretty cool places and see some pretty cool things. Um, you know, we rode elephants through a river in Thailand. I don't know how many people get to do that. Exactly. You know, we went to these unbelievable places in West Africa in Ghana where, you know, I, I'm convinced that we were probably the first white people that they've ever seen because, wow. you know, they just, the look on their face was like, so, you know, and you get to be part of that. And I remember, you know, they would come over and they would touch the hair on your arm, you know, and they would just be amazed. But I mean, they were so grateful and just such unbelievably nice people everywhere we went. And like I say, you get a taste of that. You want to be part of that all the time. 
you want to help, you want to do whatever it is you can do. And um, I went with another guy whose name was Gary. We were the team. And, you know, we both said, look, we are happy to put down these cameras and pick up instruments and help you guys, whatever it is you need. You know, you need somebody to hold the spit sucker. Let us know. We're all over this. That's awesome. That's so cool. I mean, it's so cool when you get to have real impact in real time too. And um, it's, I think every time I travel, I learn so much, so much about myself, but also so much about how small the world is as well. It's a pretty neat feeling. It really is. And like I say, I, I think you got to, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where we're landing on the F-bomb scale on this uh, podcast. You can drop anything, dude. You I can think drop you got to be, if you, if you could see this and not be impacted and not want to be part of this, you are fucked up. <laughs> right from Mark Cohen's mouth. I love it. Um, so we didn't end up here or, I mean, obviously this is, this is a incredible part of the story and it's an incredible reason why I was attracted to who you are, but I know you didn't start here. So kind of take us back in the world because we can, I want to get into the production company right now, but I also want to kind of see like, how did you end up in the world of media? Um, was that something that was always childhood dreams for you or did you fall into it? So kind of both, right? Um, I graduated college in 1978 and back then, they actually had these things called disc jockeys on the radio, you know, and I wanted to be one from a very young age. You know, I played the drums when I was a kid. I loved music and I decided that I really wanted to be a disc jockey. So, you know, I, I did the usual course. I went to high school. I went to college. I joined the college radio station. Um, I worked in the radio station. And when it got to be time toward graduation, I started sending out demo tapes. Now, you got to remember, too, now we're talking 1981. Yeah. Snail mail was the yeah. only thing around. So you took your reel-to-reel tape and you sliced, spliced together on a splicing block with a razor blade, actual tape, which you then put in a package and you sent out in the snail mail to wherever you sent it, right? Radio stations around the country. And so it was an agonizing process because, you know, it took three or four days to get wherever it was going to go. It took however long it took for the program director to listen to it. And then it took, you know, another three or four days or a week before they responded, you know, and you're waiting in the mail. You know, it wasn't email. Then it was just, you know, you, you look out the window, you wait for the mailman, you go running out to the fucking mailbox. <laughs> so anyway, I sent all these out and the response was overwhelming. They said, you can't do it. You have too much of a New York accent, Eastern regionalism. You are not neutral sounding enough to be a disc jockey anywhere in the country. Wow. I said, okay. So then it, it, at the same time, while I was working at the um, college radio station, somebody who had graduated and worked at the radio station went to work at the local public television station, in Rochester, New York, which was where I was working at the time. That person called back to talk to the director of the radio station and said, hey, we need somebody with a technical aptitude to come and work at the TV station. You know anybody like that? The guy said, well, you know, Mark's not bad. I said, okay. So I went in for the interview and I actually got the job working at the television station and thus started my foray into video production, television production, you know, phased out of audio and into the whole video component. So I worked three years, you know, doing various things um, that you do at television stations as a, as a video engineer, you know, working in the master control, working in the videotape room, um, running cameras, you know, that kind of stuff. Moved from there after a couple of years to the local CBS affiliate, um, doing the same thing. 
And then, as I said, this is Rochester, New York, um, where it snows from, you know, August 5th until June 1st, <laughs> you know, so after being up there for college and then six years, I said, I'm leaving. I, I sold everything I own. I got in my car. I drove to California with a friend of mine. I had some relatives who lived in the San Fernando Valley. I stayed with them. And, you know, after a while, I got a job at a television station in um, LA, KCOP at the time. Nice. Um, worked there for a while. And then I left for various reasons and bounced around. I went to post-production houses. You know, when my first child was born, I said, I can't work in television anymore. You know, if you know anything about working in television, it doesn't matter whether it's your birthday, your anniversary, Easter, Christmas, your kid's birthday. If it's your shift to work, you work because there's never a day when you turn on the television and there's a sign that says we're closed so the employees can hang out with their families. (laughs) I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Hmm. So I taught myself how to edit because editing video in the post-production houses is a much more civilized life. You know, on Christmas, they shut down, they do whatever. So I bounced back and forth between there. And then I went again to another TV station, the Sony's game show network to direct live game shows for a while and got fired basically from there. Um, (laughs) Itself is an interesting story. I'd be happy to tell you about, but anyway, I ended up in another place, uh, a post-production slash rental house here in Santa Ana, California and worked there for a while until I actually, you know, did in fact get involved with Mac, you know, got some of his coaching aspects and decided that's it. I'm going to start my own company. Um, Did that and, you know, never looked back. That's incredible. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there and I do want to go back and unpack it. Um, For sake of story here, where did the, uh, where did the Emmy come into play? Um, Because there is a, (laughs) there is a Los Angeles Emmy here in what, 94? Yeah, 94. Um, that, um, so we won that at working at KCOP. Um, the technical team won that for the coverage of the Los Angeles Marathon, wow. which is very cool. Um, you know, the best thing about winning an Emmy is you win this by a judgment of your peers. You know, it's not a fan vote. It's not anything. It is your peers who actually vote on this. So, you know, it carries a little weight. If you win one, you think, wow, you know, for for a very short time, you know, we were the best at what we did and we were recognized by our peers. And that's really cool. Um, You know, it now resides on the shelf behind my kids, soccer trophies and cheerleading trophies. You know, it's it's just another piece of hardware up there. Um, But this, the, one of the greatest things is this was, um, the ceremony took place at, um, I forget, anyway, in a big, big hall, the Pasadena Civic Auditorium. That's where it was. It doesn't take place in, you know, the, the Disney theater or anything. This is the technical Emmys and they took place over there. So, um, so, you know, we win this, right. And it, it is kind of the deal, you know, you win, you go to running down on stage, you get your picture taken and then they take you off to a room and they actually give you your statue and they take your picture in front of the Emmy background. Right. And, uh, you're supposed to stick around right after you win, you're supposed to go back and sit down and watch everybody else win their awards. Well, I said, fuck that. I'm leaving. <laughs> um, you know, cause I got partying to do. And so, uh, me and another guy, we're leaving and we're walking out and we walk down. So the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, there's a street in front of it. And then there's a parking garage on the other side of the street. Yeah. But on the other side of the street, there's also a bus kiosk. 
So, you know, my wife and I and my buddy and his wife, the four of us, were walking down the steps to go to the thing. We got our Emmys, you know. We're all preening because, you know, we're just like kings of the world. And there's a homeless guy sleeping in the bus um, kiosk. And he hears us and he wakes up, you know, and as we're crossing the street and we get closer to him, he looks at us and he goes, wow, you guys must be really good bowlers. <laughs> I was like, okay, reality check. <laughs> you know, so that really just sort of sums it up, you know. Yeah, it's a great thing, but, you know, <laughs> you still walk the earth like the rest of us. It's, it's a very humbling really, experience. It was humbling and it was really, you know, it was funny at the time and it's still funny. <laughs> so where, um, along this journey, like you, you've, there's obviously been highs, real big highs. There's been lows as well. Talk to me a little bit about navigating right now, because I feel like, I feel like, and I'll, I'll say the generation there's a, there's a generational gap right now. And I think that newer generations maybe aren't well equipped to deal with setback because they're expecting success. And I think so often when we come up against adversity, when we come up challenges, I think there's not a lot of t- uh, thick skin. Um, so you bounced around a lot. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of finding your way a bit, but also at the same time, like how do you get through that adversity? Because I'm guessing there was a lot of it. I mean, obviously, winning an Emmy, getting fired, moving around, moving from East Coast to West Coast, like, I don't know. Is there any advice that you pass on to your kids when it comes to adversity? You know, they, um, they've seen it as they grew up. My kids are now, um, they will be 25 and 27 shortly. So they saw a pretty fair amount of it. We did have, we were very lucky in that my wife has been an elementary school teacher for 33 years. So she had a very steady job with a very steady income. So, you know, she was kind of the support rock. So I was, you know, selfish and flexible enough that I could work in a place and say, you know what, this is just not working for me. I'm leaving, you know, and you know, there were times where it was a good idea. There were probably times where it was not such a good idea, but there, whatever the time it was, I said, I'm doing it. I can't do this for various reasons. Um, so if I were to give my children, which they probably know this already, you know, and any of the younger people coming up now, a piece of advice, you know, grow that thick skin. Life comes at you fast. It's going to try to fuck you over every chance that it gets, and you got to be ready for what's coming. You know, if you are going to get kicked in the teeth and say, well, that's it, I'm taking my marbles and I'm going home, um, then you're going to be very poor and very sad and very lonely and very unsuccessful. You know, life will come at you in a hurry out of nowhere. You know, you got to be able to adapt. You know, if you're not able to learn how to do it, you know, Um, I, I guess really it's all a question of what it is you're going to accept for yourself. You know, are you going to accept that your life is mediocre? You're in a mediocre position where you're going to have the guts and the strength, you know, to say, this isn't working for me. I'm moving out. I'm going to take the chance. You know, if I get kicked in the teeth, I'm just, you know, it's going to happen. And, you know, figure that it's going to figure that you are not going to be a success right out of the box and probably not the first 10 steps. Did um, you learn that? Was that? Was yeah, that- I think I did. But, you know, like I said before, <laughs> 
you know, this will sound egotistical, but I am the absolute type A New York Jew and, you know, will blast <laughs> through the walls to get what I think I want and I think I deserve. But yeah, I think you have to learn that. Um, you know, I have said this my entire life, you know, despite what everybody thinks, the meek are not going to inherit the earth. Okay. It's just not going to happen. You got to be ready for whatever's coming at you. You got to be ready to tackle it and you have to want to, you know, if you don't want to do it, then sit back, you know, and let life take its course for you. Let life live your life instead of you living your life. Um, there are so many obstacles, but, you know, I think today's, um, you know, it's different today, right? When I was growing up, um, you know, there was the pattern. You went to high school, you went to college, you got a job, started a family, right? It's not like that now. You know, in a classic example here in my own house, my daughter went to college, my son did not. Consequently, my son is now making more money than my daughter already, right? So the value of a college education, you know, in my mind, I've always thought the only thing that a college education does is show a prospective employer that you were willing to stick something out for four years. It doesn't mean you learned anything, <laughs> right? I didn't. But, but I didn't either, right? Actually, I did. But what I learned in college happened outside the classroom, you know, how right. to compromise, how to live, how to do my laundry, how to do a checkbook. They didn't teach me that shit in the classroom. Um, you know, so I think that, um, you know, today, the absolutely up-and-coming entrepreneurs and younger people are better equipped. We didn't have that interweb thing back then, you know. We had the Encyclopedia Britannica and Webster's Dictionary, you know, and we had to go to the library, so we were usually inclined not to, you know. And I think that, I really think that an advantage that today's people have is that they can be fearless. You know, you go to, in the old days, if you went to try and change a headlight on the car and you screwed it up, you know, that was a major pain in the ass. Today, Kids are fearless. I could change that. YouTube, change a headlight on a car. Boom, boom, boom. I'm done. 15 minutes later, I'm done. No trips to Home Depot. No trips to the gas station. You know, so I think that the tools are there for success. Um, and, you know, I honestly, I don't know how this will sound, but I think with all the tools that are available today, it should be easier. The competition is definitely going to be tougher because everybody has those same tools you know, all things being equal. Yeah. Not talking about, you know, ridiculously economically depressed places, right. Or someplace that just got hurricaned, right. All things being equal, the tools are fairly, um, leveled out, you know? So I think that that's good, but again, that's going to raise the level of competition. So you really got to up your game too. Where did the, what I hear in the way that you speak and the way that you talk about your past and what you sounds like you instilled in your children, there's a lot of self-worth that you have in yourself. Was that instilled by a parent? Was it modeled for you or was that just in Mark? That's a very good question. Um, both of my parents were professionals. Um, my father was a CPA. My mother was an amazing person. Um, she went to Vassar, which at the time was the woman's wow. Harvard. She passed the New York State bar exam on her first try, practiced law for a while, decided that she was not really helping the world by defending the scumbags. So went back to college to have got her master's degree in social work and then went into you know, the depressed areas on Long Island in New York and became a school social worker. So they were very prideful. They, you know, they had 
high standards, values, morals for themselves. Whether or not those were instilled in me, I don't know. I can't imagine that it didn't help. Um, but, you know, I got to a point, and I don't know where along the line somewhere, you know, it was just in me where I said, I don't want anybody to ever come back to me and say, you screwed this up. You didn't do this right. You know, I, I never wanted aspersions cast back on me. So I, mm. you know, I, I did, there's two things that I did that um, I think allow me to be the person that I am and the person that I want to be. The first thing is my word is gold. If I tell you I am going to do something, it is going to be done. It doesn't matter what happens. It's going to be done. Conversely, if you ask me to do something and I say I'm not going to do it, there's no fucking chance it's getting done. Okay? So don't even think about it. The second thing is, um, so we talked about the gentleman Steve built earlier. One of his things is, do your actions stand up to the light of day? You know? And I like that. Uh, that's very important for me. Um, so I, I try, and I think I am very high levelly successful at making sure that my actions stand up to the light of day. You know, you do that, your word is gold, and your actions stand up to the light of day. There's very little blowback that can come at you. You know, and with that comes a certain self confidence. You know that. You know, you, if you can look at yourself in the mirror every morning and like what you see, you don't really have to worry about what other people see. Mm. At least I don't. Okay. This is speaking from Mark Cohen's perspective. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't give a shit what anybody says or anybody thinks about me. You know, that's very easy to say, but it's really harder to actually live that way. Mm. Um, because, you know, we are creatures of, you know, we love compliments. We don't like being talked bad about, you know, but really I, I am very happy with myself and, you know, what, what I have turned into. Um, so I don't worry too much about that stuff. I love it. Um, and it, it permeates through who you are just from the short amount of time that we've, we've spent together. It, it permeates through Mark uh, in the best of ways, my friend. Um, were your parents first generation? Like, did they, were they immigrant? Did they immigrate? No, they were first generation. I think their parents were not, but uh, my father grew up in Brooklyn and I think my mother probably grew up somewhere around there also. I was just curious, um, just being Chinese American, I'm, I'm fourth generation, but uh, there are certain values instilled by, by coming into America, being an immigrant, um, that you, you're going to work your tail off. Like there's, there's no data about it. There's you, you are, you're going to hit the round running and there's no looking back. Um, but yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't think that that's really a detrimental thing. You know, I'll be honest with you. I think that puts you head and shoulders above a lot of people. Um, you know, the work ethic, I, I, I don't think it's a secret. The work ethic in the United States for a very long time has not been terrific. Right. You know? So, you know, if you've got an advantage coming out of the gates, that's a good thing. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's fast forward a little bit. Let's fast forward back up to present day Mark Howard Cohen Productions. Um, what, what was the impetus to make the leap? Um, and what kind of allowed you to pull that trigger? Because that is not a, for most people, especially um, in phases, it is not an easy jump um, to go out on your own. Or maybe it was for you. Um, but tell me about, if you don't mind telling me about that process. No, so... 
I had been working at this post-production house in Santa Ana now going on 10 years, which is the longest I had ever worked anywhere. Prior to that, seven years was the longest that I had worked anywhere. And really, I was just not happy um, with the way it was going. Um, unfortunately, the the guy whose company it was who started it and brought it along and you know ran it for many, many, many years, his, his health got bad. Um, and, you know, other people started running the business and I was not um, crazy about the way it was going, you know, and it is not in my DNA to sit around and complain and take the easy paycheck. I said, you know what, I don't need this shit. So at that point, also, I had had, you know, numerous experiences with Mac, you know, the life coaching and, you know, how to better yourself. And I had had um, a great relationship with a number of the clients who also, you know, if we were the vendor at the post-production rental staging place, you know, we had clients. And for a lot of them, I was the face, you know, they knew me. And I thought that was good, you know, and I finally got to the point where I said, that's it. I'm leaving. I don't know what I'm going to do but I don't want to work here anymore. So I gave my resignation and I left. And, um, you know, with, again, I, I know I had had numerous conversations at that time with Mac also, you know, and we talked about it and, you know, some, even a more confidence builder. And so I said, all right, I'm doing it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going. And so, you know, throughout, I think it was the two weeks, you know, because I had to have, we, we wanted to have an exit strategy at, at the post house, right? Um, because I was the, the face to a lot of the clients and I couldn't just disappear. So we said, what are we going to do? We said, okay, how about we send out an email that says, you know, Mark has a, other opportunities, you know, he's leaving. Well, of course the clients start calling, you know, and the greatest compliment I got was, what do you mean you're leaving? We thought you owned the company. <laughs> well, you know, I don't. They said, well, we're going with you, you know, you are who we know. You are the face we know. And, you know, it just so happened that there were a, a number of clients who felt the same way, you know, and, you know, and then of course the place was pissed. Oh, Mark's leaving and he's stealing clients. They said, they accused me of stealing clients. I'm not stealing anything. I didn't tell anybody what to do. I said, I was leaving, you know, they left. So, you know, I, I was not well received by the company when I left because they thought I was stealing clients. And, you know, again, oh, well, shit happens, you know? Yeah. And so with that support from that sort of a client base, um, I put this company together, Mark Howard Cohen Productions, you know, um, it was kind of a tight freelance community of people who do this, you know, PowerPoint operators, audio operators, camera operators, you know, backstage people, video type people, you know, and, and we sort of have a network. So as I started this, you know, I would talk to these other people and say, hey, you know, if would you mind coming and working on these gigs? And I'm like, absolutely. We'd love to come and work with you. And in fact, when we have a gig, we'd love you to come and work with us. So, you know, it started pretty good and it grew. And then, you know, after a while, I think after two years, actually incorporated because the accountant said, look, dude, you, you know, if you're doing this kind of stuff, you know, when you're in these venues, you got to be incorporated. And not so much worried about the money as the liability, liability aspect. Yep. You got it. So I said, okay, incorporated. And you know, so that's it. Now I am a corporation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So take me back to the, the Mac conversations because 
Jim McPartland, who we've had on the podcast here too, he kind of really did some work with me, especially in those pivotal moments. Like he seems to come back into my life when I'm trying to make turns. Like I'm trying to get on this path in way. Is there anything that kind of stood out? Is there anything that's, you know, if you're, if you're open to sharing that's really stood out in terms of how you were thinking and was there anything that Mac was able to give you or was he just able to fine tune what was already in your head? You know, I would love to be able to share it. It was a long time ago and I cannot remember any specifics. What I do remember though, was in all our conversations, I came out with a greater sense of self-confidence that I could actually pull this off. You know, it wasn't, you know, well, you can do this because, you know, I, I'm sure there was some of that, but you know, you know, for, you know how it is with Mac and obviously people who don't know him don't know, you know, he always circles it around to you to help you find your best you and, you know, bring you up and make you think that you can do things. Um, and I'm sure that's what it was, you know, because I definitely remember that. I remember talking to Mac again. I remember talking to Steve Bill to, um, you mentioned before he too, you know, he can do this, you know, you have what it takes. You can do this. So really, I can't give you any specifics just because I just don't remember any. <laughs> did um, Were you on the production team that did the Unopened Gifts series? Some of the interviews? No, but that the guy who did it, his name was Gary. He yeah. was the one who accompanied me on the, um, Got it. on the trips. He and I work very well together. We've known each other. Jesus, I don't know. I... I I think I probably met him in 1989 or so. So we've known each other a long time. We're good friends. He, I think, was the one who did all of that stuff for Mac. Got it. All right. I'm going to switch it on you again here. And as, as a father myself, and as I've got a little one right now, who's kind of, you know, um, we're balancing work and home and life and everything right now. And I know that you are an involved father. You've been a very involved father in terms of household and kids and everything else. Um, we just had father's day. Um, are there things that, you know, coming up that you wanted to make sure you impart it were there how, or did you balance, you know, like you were a working individual sometime on the road, starting a company, like how the heck do you balance that at times? Well, um, you know, it's tough and it's tough for me. Oh, and just to get back to Father's Day, we had Father's Day here on Sunday too. I got new earrings. I was pretty happy about it. Nice. nice. <laughs> um, you know, from what we've talked about when we did our sessions with Mac, you know, that integrity is big for me. Um, I always think that people should do the right things the right way. And I don't really have a good time when it doesn't happen that way. You know, and as you are raising children, it doesn't always happen that way, you know, just doesn't. And I struggled with that for a long time, you know, as my kids were growing up, you know, and, and another thing that you always think of, which, which really is kind of a disastrous thing, right? The people who, all, the people who will disappoint you the most are your family, because those are the ones you expect the most from. Hmm. So when that doesn't jive, you know, there's a lot of tension and a lot of grief. And I struggled with that for a long time. And we had battles in this house for a long time. Luckily, you know, my wife is fantastic, you know, and she would, you know, mama bear those kids and, you know, weather the storms, you know, when I was going off and she would just be the calming influence. And, you know, so 
once we kind of got through that, you know, you know, obviously that lessens as the kids get older, they mature, they start to know what the right thing is to do. You know, they start to know how to do the right things. You know, they become people, you know, my children became very good people. I think that that was more on my wife's um, watch than on mine, but you know, there is a, there's a delicate balance with the kids. And one of the things that my wife always said was, what is she? you don't want to be the sage on the stage. You want to be the guide on the side, right? You don't want to tell your kids how to do things or why to do things. You know, you want to maybe give them advice. You want to wait until they ask for questions, but you know, you don't want to be hovering over them all the time telling them, no, this is how you should do it. This is what you should do. This is how you should do it. Eh, Cause that doesn't work well. That doesn't make for a good balance. That just makes for a lot of pissed off shit, tension, and you know, sleeping on the couch. So, you know, again, I was lucky. She was a rock. She always worked. She has a steady job. She took a couple of years off to raise the kids, you know, when they were very young, but then she went back to work. And like, I was on the road a lot, um, which, you know, I think probably was a good thing, you know, because what the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. When I came home, you know, everybody was happy. We were good. And, you know, we were great for a couple of weeks. And then we got back to our usual. But, you know, we've gotten to the point, like I say, my kids are older now, 25, 27. They are fantastic people, um, you know. And I think that, you know, between what I was able to impart to them and what my wife gave them, that really was the balance, mm-hmm. you know. And they're smart. You know, they're successful. They're, you know, they are – I am very proud of both of them, Um but it, it was a struggle and mostly it was a struggle on my part because, you know, my resistance to accept mediocrity at times really got in the way. Hmm. Appreciate you sharing. Um, of course. They sound like, they sound like amazing human beings. Um, and I think, you know, I'm new to the game and, and, and young into the game right now of, of fatherhood, but I think that it's a lot of, a lot of it's being imperfect. And I think both parties are learning as they go, as you move forward, you're both trying to figure out this dance. Um, and the, the, it seems like the, uh, the target keeps moving on me too. So it will, I mean, this, you want to talk about a liquid situation, <laughs> raising children is it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. It's, it's great though. It's, uh, it's one of the best things. It's one of the first things that really kind of knocked me off in, in the best of ways where it couldn't be so me centric. Like there was, there were, there were, better forces pulling me in different directions. Um, and they, uh, I've only got one, but that's, that's been the case for me. So, yeah. Talk to me here. Um, you know, as we're, as we're talking about family, we're talking about work here. Uh, we're talking about kind of growth and development. What's on the horizon for you? Because COVID shaken up a lot of it. We have economic, um, story of race right now in our country. There's a story of all of it happening at the moment. Um, what happens? Because you were a live, you're live, you know, events company. So what happens right now moving forward? Um, or where's the next, I don't know, is there a next plateau for the striving Mark Cohen? Well, the current obviously um, plan would be to get involved in the whole virtual meetings because right now that's the thing. You know, everybody's doing these things virtually, you know, the question, you know, a question two steps forward is if the virtual things work so well, will anybody ever go back to having 
you know, in-person meetings. You know, it's very expensive. There's a lot of logistics involved. Uh, personally, I think they will. I think that we are a very tactile um, human race. You know, we like to hug. We like to shake hands. You know, we like to clink classes. I think that um, at the end of the day, people are going to say, you know, I'm tired of looking at my computer. I'm tired of looking at, at in my house. Somebody's going to have a meeting. I'm going. You right. Know, that's it. You know, it, it's hard to tell when, when does the fear subside? You know, when do people start saying, okay, it's cool to sit more, less than six feet away. You know, it's cool that I don't have to wear a mask. It's cool to get on the airplane. I don't know where that goes. I don't, of course. you know, but I think that we will get to that point. I think we will get back to, you know, I hate the term, the new normal. I know that's the big catchphrase. Now I, you know, normal is going to be normal. It's not going to be new. It's not going to be old. It's just going to be fucking normal. This is what we do now, you know? Um, but I think that, you know, I think that we will come back. I really do. And in the meantime, like I say, you know, we figure out how to do these virtual meetings and, you know, uh, next plateau, who knows, you know, it's tough to tell. It's tough to see where or, you know, conceive of where the world's going. Things are getting better. I'm sure up by you it is, you know, here. Yesterday we actually went to a, a restaurant for the first time. And it was very cool, you know, hang out. And, you know, the, the, the restaurant workers were wearing masks, but the patrons weren't. Everybody was laughing, having a good time. Nobody seemed to be real concerned about it. Um, so, you know, whether it's baby steps or leaps and bounds, we will get back and hopefully my business will come back to having face-to-face -face people, you know, and getting back to doing that kind of thing. If Is not, it? who the hell knows? <laughs> um, as we kind of wrap, um, obviously, I want to make sure people can uh, can come find you. Um, I know that obviously your work is um, bigger production and things like that, but obviously people can come find you. Oh, we do small people... stuff too. You know, we do. We would do a meeting for five people, a meeting for fifty thousand nice. people. We do videos. You need videos done. Whatever it is, anything that you can conceive of in the world of you know visual communications or events. You know we will help you with. That's awesome. Where's the best place for them to come find you? Um, I would say probably the website, mhcproductions.net. Um, I think there's a contact page, um, comes right to my email. Um, I, cool. I, don't know, I will, um, I will link all of that. No, don't worry. I will link all cool. of that on the show notes. So if you guys are listening in right now, you guys can go down to the show notes, click the link and come find Mark. If there's something on the episode that you guys liked or value you got out of the, the episode as well, go hit up Mark too. Um, not that I want to flood his inbox, but let him know. Um, like I'm, I'm really grateful that you spent the time to be on here to share, to be vulnerable. Um, is there any kind of last, last shots here? Any story that you want to touch on? Anything you want to share before we, uh, we sail into the sunset? Um, well, actually there is one funny thing. Um, Please. So, uh, you know, as my business has sort of been shuttered, you know, I have been searching the job boards, um, you know, to see what it is, you know. Um, and there are any number of companies that are soliciting, you know, uh, virtual event producers, you know, which yeah, I can do this. You know, I've done virtual. I've done 80 million webcasts. Those are basically a virtual production, you know, and I can run a production. So there was one today on Glassdoor. Um, it was a company called Puffco. And I didn't know what that was. So I, uh, and they were looking for a virtual, no, they were looking for a, a live events producer. So I, I went, okay, Puffco, right? It's got to be puffco.com. I go to puffco.com. Well, apparently they make vaping products. 
you know, that's their niche. And I'm sure that in addition to vape, they make products that you could use for other stuff, right? Puffco. So I say, okay, well, I'm going to apply for this, right? So I go to Glassdoor, easy apply, you know, name, phone number, email, you know, the usual stuff. Can you work in this country? Do you need a sponsor? Blah, blah, blah. And then I think the last question was, do you have experience with cannabis events? And I thought, yeah, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely a yes. <laughs> so we'll see where that one goes. That's awesome. That's really awesome. You're like, you mean infinitely or like? <laughs> I would call them events. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my kind of funny for the day. Well, I can't wait to hear how that one uh, follows up. We'll uh, find out. We'll find out. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. We don't want to keep you from happy hour here. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days hopefully in the near future we'll have a chance to share a drink um, that'd be awesome it's been a pleasure and an honor to get to know you spend time with you more importantly just have you dedicate this time and share and be open because you're you're awesome man i mean it's been really cool to hear your story get to know you but more importantly just who you are as a person like it's infectious you want to be around you but more importantly like be like you um, because you're so straightforward and that, that word really comes through. So thank you for the time. Oh man, it was great being here. Thanks for having me and um, be happy to come back anytime. Deal. All right, my friends, go check out Mark. Um, make sure you go hit him up on his site, anything video based, small, big, you name it. Um, go hit him up um, unless he's uh, doing some sort of a big event. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, catch us later. All right. So long, Jason. Thanks. Thanks again. I hope you guys grabbed some great value out of today's conversation. If you want to further the conversation, I'd love to meet you personally. We've got a free Facebook community that you can dive into, free content, more resources, and I do lives every single week where I get a chance to interact with you and help coach you on exactly what you need. If you want to find it, you can find us at The Business of Feeling Good, or you can search the hashtag BOFG. Again, that's hashtag BOFG. If you like this episode, please share it. I'd love to hear from you. Your comments, your reviews truly mean so much to me. It's the lifeblood of what keeps me going, and it's how I craft the content that's better going to impact you. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Until then, cheers. Cheers.